Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Jake Corley to the show. After serving in the United States Marine Corps, Jake dove headfirst into the oil and gas tech scene in 2013, co-founding some of the first cloud-based tech startups and later co-hosting the first podcast in oil and gas. Now, Jake is the co-founder at Digital Wildcatters and spends most of his time at the intersection of ONG and tech. Jake, how are you doing today? Raj, I'm great. Thanks for having me, man. Jake, thank you for joining. Jake, it's going to be a very special episode. You know, we're co-collaborators in this media sector, broadly speaking, around energy. I've watched your journey over the last couple of years, got to know a little bit about Fuse. But I want to know, how do you go from being a Marine to being a content creator? Oh, man. Oh, I'm going to try to give you the, uh, I'll try to give you the condensed version so that we don't get too long <laughs> in the tooth. Um, I'll, I'll condense it a bit. So uh, in the Marines, I, I was uh, focused on hardware. And so I was a communications um, communication specialist. And so actually doing maintenance on radio systems, data systems. And prior to the Marines, I'd actually done that two years prior. Um, so coming out of the Marine Corps, I had six years of kind of hardware experience. And I was burnt out. And during that time, I discovered, um, and this is like 12, 13 years ago, uh, kind of discovered everything that was happening in Silicon Valley with tech and with startups. And I knew two things coming out of the Marines. I knew that uh, after that experience, I never wanted to work for anybody again. Uh, and I knew I was really interested in this whole startup thing. And so I had never been introduced to anything with energy at this point. Um, you know, came back to Houston. I was out in California for four years, came back to Houston, uh, obviously the energy capital of the world. And um Went to school for computer science, made it two semesters before meeting a guy at the gym whose dad uh, ran a, um, a pretty large oil and gas company here in Houston. He had built some software for his dad's company to manage a lot of their data. Uh, the unique thing was that this was like the only software out there that was actually in the cloud. That was a, was a pretty novel concept back then. Um, long story short, I ended up uh, joining him on taking this, this project essentially that he built for his dad's company and commercializing that. And so... Uh, I quit my job. I dropped out of school. We raised half a million dollars of kind of friends and family money. Um, and then it was a trial by fire. And so I, I got, I just got my hands on as many uh, books on, on energy as possible. Textbooks, actually, petroleum engineering, geology, uh, oil and gas finance. Uh, and then I also had just unrestricted access to his dad's company. And so I could spend a lot of time with you know petroleum engineers, reservoir engineers, operations guys, uh, going out to the field, dealing with um, you know some of the lease operators and the pumpers, uh, getting access to the finance department. So I really learned the entire business kind of from the ground up, um, and it was a real, yeah, it was trial by fire. There was a lot to learn there. Um, so I say all that to say I, I, I rinsed and repeated a couple different times, uh, building tech startups in the oil and gas space, uh, and then 2016 rolled around and I started um, uh, on 
I started co-hosting the kind of the very first oil and gas podcast, um, where it was just a, a weekly news show. And so just kind of walking through what was happening uh, in the space every single week. Uh, fast forward to 2018, uh, myself, my partner, Colin McClellan, uh, had the idea to do a show that was focused more on startups, founders, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, um, you know, technology, what was happening kind of in the oil and gas space. We were having a lot of conversations around that time with Silicon Valley VCs, New York VCs, um, and telling them about all the amazing things that was kind of happening in, in energy tech. And they were like, cool, so where do we go to learn about it? And we didn't have anywhere to like point them. And so we saw this as, a, as an opportunity. We didn't think that it was going to become what it is today. Uh, thought it was just going to be a fun little side project. We had a lot of friends. So we just saw it as like, hey, we're just going to put a microphone in the room between friends. Uh, and so started that in 2018. Um, and it took off, like, I mean, way better than we ever imagined. Uh, we had an acquisition offer within six months that we turned down. Um, you know, fast forward a little bit later, we started doing some like brand deals. We're like, okay, this is interesting. So yeah, it was just one of those things. Like I, I never, I never thought that I would be that guy who would be putting myself out there in contests, but particularly in 2016, it was actually very nerve wracking. Um, <laughs> I'm naturally introverted. Um, the idea of like putting myself out there was terrifying. Um, but it was one of those things where you just put one foot in front of the other and you just keep showing up. And so I've, I've released at least one podcast uh, a week, if not more since 2016. Um, so, and, and now I love it. Absolutely love it. And I just can't imagine, you know, my life without it. That's a fantastic journey. Going back to when you were reading all the textbooks, did you happen to read a book called The Prize by Daniel Jurgen? I actually didn't read the prize surprisingly, and it's still on my reading list. I'm in uh, I'm in his um, his latest book currently, which is totally fascinating. But it's it's reminding me that I need to go back and, and read those as well. There's a lot of books that are pretty similar um, to that, but it was I, I was somebody who never really succeeded in the within the confines of a traditional education. Uh, I'm really, really good at learning things that I'm very, very interested in, and particularly you know whenever we started that company, it was like, this is mine. Like I, I'm the master of my destiny and I, I've never consumed so much information in a short period of time. <laughs> and the reason I bring up the prize, I read it maybe 10, 12 years ago and I've given away several copies also, but I almost feel like it should be required reading in high school or in college. And the reason I say that, and this might sound a little controversial, but I think I think if people read the prize or similar books, as you mentioned, they would perhaps gain some additional insight into the industry and maybe even appreciation for what that industry has done for us from a you know economy standpoint. I think that, and you know, you mentioned you worked or were working with people at the wellheads and out in the field, and just some of the challenges that they had to go through and have to go to to enable us to move this economy. I know it's more of a statement than a question, but you know, you've been around these people at the wellhead, like you mentioned, maybe even roughnecks. When you hear people perhaps disparaging the oil and gas industry, and maybe broadly speaking, companies, when you're around these people, what is what are their responses when they hear that? It's it's a toss-up. It kind of depends on who you're talking to. I think I think a lot of the guys that are out in the field don't always particularly concern themselves with the public rhetoric. I think that's, it's, it's a very specific demographic of guys who are kind of, um, you know, good old boys, they're out in the country. They kind of just keep them themselves. Um, 
they know the importance and that's all that matters to them. Uh, I think that the ones that it matters to are the ones who are kind of, you know, in the city, in Houston, in the back office. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's a big part of why we exist. I would love to say that we had the foresight to think that we would have like this, this entire mission that we do now of really changing the way the world thinks about energy and, and subsequently, uh, you know, trying to raise energy IQ, both inside the industry and outside. Um, but it's, uh, there's, I a hundred percent agree about your, your comment about the prize. Like it's one of those things where it's energy is, is, is base layer to modern society. Everything depends on it. Transportation, the internet, you know, all, all of the electricity that we use and everything that is dependent on that. And it's so mind boggling, the just misinformation that is out there currently, um, and I think you see it most on social media platforms, particularly platforms like Twitter or Reddit. And if you go into some of these threads and just read some of these comments, uh, particularly recently, you know, energy is very much at the forefront of uh, a public conversation, um, you know, due to the various energy crises that we're, we're dealing with. Um, you know, look at things like gas prices, for example, and, and just people having absolutely not just people, not just like the normal, uh, you know, Jackson Jill's <laughs> out there, but this administration. Um, of sending letters to you know gas station owners asking them why they're hiking the price of, of fuel and gas station owners make on average one cent per gallon. That's their margin. They make all their money on the convenience store stuff. There's just a lack of understanding the absolute basics. And so I feel like that's something that needs to be taught. You know, I don't know if it's in high school or junior high or both, um, but that's one of the things that we've definitely overlooked as a, as a society. Now, going back to content, can you share... Or give an overview of digital wildcatters. Yeah, digital wildcatters. Um, you know, obviously, we we it all started with uh, the oil and gas startups podcast that Colin and I still host today. Um, everything else has really been built off the back of that. So before it was really consoled underneath the digital wildcatters name, we were just doing a lot of different things that we thought um, we were trying to create the industry that we wanted to work in. And so when we came in, it was it was a very stuffy industry. And it was to the point to where we were like, do we stay in this? Do we go do something else? You know, it was a lot of the events were at the Petroleum Club, which is, you know, suits, ties, dress code, super nice. Um, a lot of sales guys trying to sell to each other. And it just wasn't like, it wasn't, it wasn't fun, honestly. Um, and so in addition to the podcast, we were like, hey, well, let's, let's host some like happy hours. Like let's, let's do something fun. And there was no agenda. There was no content. It was just literally, we had, we were one of the first tenants at WeWork in uh, in Houston. And so we just had all of this space and we asked them, Hey, can we, can we host a happy hour here? They were like, yeah, we love you too. And so the very first one, we had 300 people show up, you know, we had pizza, we had like kegs of beer, we had music blasting and you just had people from all walks of life. Like, you know, people that were in school to like, there's one guy, this, this old guy, Heinz, he's like 82 years old. He comes to all of our events still like all of these years later. and you just got to see that we were able to cultivate this environment where people were able to have some like really, really cool conversations. And there was like nothing else to distract them from that other than just connecting with other people in the space. And so that was, that was really interesting to me. And so we kept doing that. We kept doing these little happy hours and then eventually it led to, we said, Hey, let's wait. What if we did some content at one of our events, we did an energy tech funding panel. So we brought in some VCs that were investing in the space um, and that performed even better. And we were like, okay, that eventually turned into our energy tech night series, which we still do today, uh, which on average is about three to 500 people. We're planning on doing that like six times, I think in 2023, 
taking that on the road to a bunch of different cities. But we have anywhere from four to eight different companies that present. We usually have a, a movie screen um, behind them. Uh, we actually do it at a movie theater. Uh, and they demo their products live. They've got 10 minutes to, to demo and walk people through that. Uh, and then Sorry they take to live. Here, but is, that, is that across technologies? In, in, in what regard? In energy. So it could be anything from, let's say, something new for oil and gas to hydrogen. Yeah. So historically, it's been all oil and gas. Um, moving into 2023, it's going to be all of energy. And so we're, we're not sure if we're going to mix technologies at each event or if we're going to have specific events that are geared towards certain topics, right? So imagine okay. we did an entire one focused on hydrogen. We're kind of going back and forth there. So we don't really know. Um, but yeah, they, they'll, they'll, it's not a pitch. You know, They're not looking for money or anything necessarily. It's literally just demoing and showcasing what they've built uh, and, and how they're making an impact in the industry. And then they do live Q&A, which I think is, is really, really awesome because you get some really good feedback from people immediately. And then um, the last half of the night, it's just hanging out, networking. Uh, and it's been uh, wildly successful. So, you know, so we had the podcast, right? And then we started doing the events. Um, and then kind of simultaneously in 2018, um, you know, obviously came in the industry through tech, fell in love with the industry. And I went from being like wanting to be like, you know, the Mark Zuckerberg to like, I wanted to be an oil man. And Colin <laughs> felt the same way. And so we actually went and bought some wells in Oklahoma outside of Tulsa in uh, Pawnee and Creek County. Nothing crazy, small little operation, uh, but we bought those and started operating them ourselves. And um, we vlogged us actually going up there and buying those. And so we put that on YouTube and our YouTube was called Digital Wildcatters. And so that was where the name actually came from. And so nobody had taken it and we bought the URL just to like have it. And uh, we post that video, it like immediately does like 30,000 views. Everybody's talking about it and we're like, okay, that's cool. Well, then one of our pumps goes out on the, on the well and we have to go do a workover. We're like, cool, let's go vlog this too. So we go out there and we're in the rain swinging hammers around. We've got a rig out there. Uh, that does well. And we're like, okay, this is cool. Um, so fast forward a little bit past that and we decided to make the decision to just consolidate everything underneath that digital walk headers uh, banner. And so, you know, it was pretty much a side project from 2018 until 2020. Uh, and in that time, we'd actually started another tech company, raised five million bucks, built a team, um, had two other co-founders uh, outside of me and Colin. And um, I was leading technology. He was kind of leading the commercial side. And 2020 rolled around and we had to make a decision. You know, we had mm. sold the wells by that point. Um, and so it was literally just Wildcatters in this new venture. And we had to make a decision on, we had to pick one. You know, Wildcatters continued to grow. It was something that never made us any money, but we'd put a lot of money into it, a lot of time. The community kept just growing and telling us that they wanted new things. And so we ultimately decided to exit the other venture that we were doing. Uh, and that was uh, a little bit of seed capital to kind of get us through 2020. This is like February, 2020. And uh, decided to go all in on Wildcatters. And we said, hey, it's, you know, it's kind of our responsibility to figure out how to make this work. And, uh, you know, we talked to some investors, we lined up like eight different angel investors who were like, yeah, you know, considers to be in, you know, on a seed round. And uh, we make the leap. And then it was like, in, within two weeks, oil goes negative 37, which nobody thought was possible. <laughs> you know, the sky is falling, COVID hits, um, the world shuts down, all of the angel investors back out. Um, and we were like, this was probably the worst decision we ever made. Um, but it ended up working out. It ended up working out for a variety of reasons because as the world was shut down, 
people had nothing but time to consume content. And so that's what we went all in on. We just started putting out more content. And so that was when we launched like three more podcasts. Um, we weren't hosting them, but we brought in new talent to host new shows over, over different kind of topics. And uh, then we launched a newsletter and that started doing really well. We obviously couldn't do the events. And so that kind of hurt kind of during 2020 and even into 21 um, and just figured it out. You know, we made a lot of mistakes. We're not media people. Um, you know, we just come from the industry and tried our best to figure out how do we turn the side project into a business. And then, you know, fast forward to today, um, we've got, you know, 12 of us full time. Uh, I expect that number to be two to three times that in the next probably six months. Um, we do two main events a year. We do Empower, which is focused on the intersection of uh, the energy industry and Bitcoin mining, something that's very, very important to us. Uh, and then we do Fuse, uh, which is coming up next week, actually. So we'll always do that kind of around the October, end of October uh, kind of time frame, which is really focused on bringing together all of energy tech uh, to really talk about how do we solve the world's energy issues uh, and kind of climate issues as well. And a lot of that's going to be done through through technology. So, and then sprinkle in a lot of other events. We have probably seven podcasts now, I think, uh, with a lot more launching, a lot more newsletters on the horizon. Um, yeah, it's 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 interesting. Digital Wildcatters is, I guess, depending on who you ask, uh, you'll get a different kind of answer. But I think out of anything, it's I think we've built a really, really engaged community within energy. What prompted you to increase the size of the tent from going from oil and gas to all energy? I think like in the old Spider-Man movie, Uncle Ben, he was like, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. I think it's one of those things where you start to realize, you start to realize certain trends. You start to realize where people are paying attention. You start to realize where money's flowing um, and you start to realize what's important. And I think that with the platform that we've built, I think it's kind of our responsibility as we looked into you know, is there anybody doing what we're doing in the renewable space or hydrogen or, you know, carbon capture and sequestration, uh, utilities, um, you name it. And there, there isn't a digital walkheaders in that space. And so there is a void there. And so we, we felt like that was our responsibility to bring together this fragmented uh, energy industry. It's like each of these subsectors, we're all working towards the same thing, but we just haven't historically been working together. And so now that's kind of like a, a newfound mission for us. And, and Fuse is really kind of a, a test of that thesis. Is that something that people actually wanted? Um, and, and so far, the answer has been a resounding yes. Uh, it's it's a big challenge. And I think at first, it was it was hard for people to kind of comprehend why we'd want to do that. Um, I think at first, it was hard to kind of get buy-in. Uh, but I think through, I think people once, once they really understood that the world is going to be much better off, because I, I, I hate to say even like, energy transition. I really don't believe in that term. I think it's terrible nomenclature. It's terrible branding. But I think energy addition is great. And I think that oil and gas is going to be here for a, a very, very long time uh, until there's some massive step changes in, in technology uh, and new kinds of discoveries. Um, but the energy mix, as energy demand continues to go up in perpetuity, each of them is going to play a very critical role. And it's going to depend geographically and in certain situations uh, in, in what capacity they're going to play. Um, but we're seeing so much investment in the commingling of different types of energy sources or energy production uh, on the oil and gas side, on the renewable side. Uh, you're seeing oil and gas look into hydrogen. Everybody's kind of now playing in all of this. And I think that the traditional oil and gas companies are going to turn more into either energy companies or like quote unquote natural resource uh, companies. There's just 
so much innovation that's happening. And I think, and especially now after the uh, Inflation Reduction Act passed and all the things that were, were packed into that, we're going to see so much, so much new technology being created out of that. And it's it's cool because my entire career has been in, in like an oil and gas downturn until like this year. And so timing is really everything. And so kind of catching that that massive tailwind, I think we're really going to be able to to pull off the mission. And I think we're going to have a, a really, really big impact. So when you first started reaching out to individuals to come speak at Fuse, perhaps some that were in hydrogen or carbon capture or other areas, what was their response like? Honestly, every response was positive except one. And I'm just going to call them out. It was NREL. Um, you know, we were trying to, to understand the space. And so NREL's, you know, National Renewable Energy Laboratories. And it was, you know, hey, you guys are doing something with oil and gas. We're not going to touch it. Um, and so that was pretty disheartening because that was that was like one of our first conversations. And, and they're very much seen as kind of one of the leaders in that space. And so that was a little bit of a gut check for me. Like, hey, do people actually want this? Is it going to be received well? Is it going to be received well from, you know, from our existing community? Um, but that was the only conversation that went that way. And every other conversation was like, this is absolutely needed. And we're glad that you guys are, are, are wanting to, to put this together. And we really believe in this movement. I was looking at the speaker lineup for the upcoming fuse that you mentioned. And I love the topics, how broad they are. Cracking the carbon capture code, decarbonization, energy's low carb diet, artificial intelligence. Energy's got 99 problems, and these are just some. How did you guys come up with the topics? That is, man. Um, so, either fortunately or unfortunately, I do a lot of that myself. And I think that just the, <laughs> the function of the function of uh, kind of the role that I play here, um, uh, putting together an agenda is the hardest part of this entire thing. Um, we don't do the call for presentations or technical papers or anything like that. You know, it's very much to be on brand with us, it needs to be primarily conversations and so panels. And so it's about a four to five month process. Um, and I have hundreds upon hundreds of conversations with people just so I can understand who the players are in the space and, and who are kind of the best and brightest minds that we can bring in. Um, and so through that process, you know, if I'm talking to somebody in, let's say, carbon capture, utilization, sequestration, I'm not an expert in that. I can speak relatively high level on, on kind of most of these topics, but nothing really in the, in the weeds. And so I find these guys and then I'll ask them what, like you're the ones who are living it. Like what are the hot topics? What are the challenges? What are the opportunities? What is the status of, of, of what's going on in this space? And so through that feedback, um, we're able to really understand what people actually want and, and what it's essentially you're crowdsourcing the entire agenda right? From the people who are actually going to be participating in it. as opposed to being like, oh, we want to talk, like we had some very loosely defined topics that we wanted to get into, but we didn't know what the actual, you know, agenda was actually going to look like. And so, yeah, through four to five months of conversations and then asking them, hey, you know, who do you think is, you know, kind of the best in the space? Who are the people that you've worked alongside? And just kind of that spider web through the, through the network. And then taking all that feedback, whittling it down into, you know, the, the stuff that we kept seeing over and over, and over again. Uh, and then the titles, we just come up with funny, witty titles because that's just our brand. <laughs> well, and I appreciate I'm looking at the 330 slot and it's energy edition, like you mentioned, the future is renewable. And I've heard you mention also that you want the Fuse event to be almost like the South by Southwest of energy. Can you yeah. share the environment of what Fuse is going to look like? Here's here's the reason. Here's the reason that we wanted it to be a South by Southwest style event is if you take a little trip down memory lane 
uh, and you look at Austin pre South by Southwest, you know, Austin now is, you know, oh, it's the, you know, the tech capital of, of uh, you know, the South of Texas. Uh, you know, it's such a creative city. It's such a great place to live. Um, and Houston has all of those same ingredients. But prior to South by Southwest coming to town, Austin was a sleepy little cowboy town. You know, and so I think a lot of what Austin has become today, at least the good part, can be attributed to South by Southwest coming to town and, and doing that for so long. And then you look at the ingredients of Houston. We have all of those same ingredients, an extremely creative city. We have some of the best food in the world. Um, we have tons of tech talent that nobody really wants to talk about. Um, and we have the largest industry in the world, energy, and we have more capital. And so why aren't we able to pull off something that's similar to that? And so six years ago, Colin and I, had made a list of just things that both of us had, had wanted to accomplish. And we found that list recently, uh, I'd say about seven, eight months ago. And um, we've knocked everything off that list except one thing, which was through a South by Southwest of energy uh, in Houston. And this also kind of coincided with, we just done our Empower event in, in March, and it was the biggest thing that we'd ever done. It was a massive swing for us. Um, but I think it was eye-opening and it really made us think bigger. And so... We looked at each other and we said, I think now is the time. Uh, so let's see if we can pull this off. And it just so happened to just coincide with us also wanting to, to expand into all the adjacent energy verticals. And, and then that new mission of kind of uh, igniting or uniting uh, all of energy together. And so that was really genesis of Fuse. And so when you come to Fuse, it's not going to be at the, you know, the George R. Brown Convention Center like, you know, most of the events are. It's a... Uh, it's in East downtown, which is uh, it's a pretty old part of uh, town. Uh, it's very close to the ballpark, very close to uh, the soccer stadium that we have here. And it's being gentrified. So the whole front end of this is like it's the most hip uh, restaurants and, and bars and, and various venues. It's a really, really you know kind of happening spot. And so home base for us is the Eighth Wonder Brewery. And so it's an entire block. It's half indoors, half outdoors. Uh, they have a distillery across the street. And then you've got a bunch of those other spots. And so we've actually shut down five city blocks and we've rented out seven venues. We've shut out two, two, two entire roads kind of in between. We've got cops kind of blocking off from every angle. So people can just walk kind of freely um, from venue to venue. We've got three different stages for the three different content tracks at three different venues. Uh, we've got a fourth stage where technology companies are going to be doing these live tech demos, very similar to the Energy Tech Night series that I talked about. We've got companies that are exhibiting. Uh, we've got companies that are setting up booths. Um, some of the exhibits, it's going to be actually very, very large equipment. And um, so we've got a couple companies that are bringing out, um, for example, some some next generation electric frack pumps. That's uh, kind of all the rage. Uh, and then building some little experiences around that. Um, so it's a cool environment. It's, you show up and you kind of make your own adventure and none of the topics are going to be so technical that you can't understand. The point is for you know, people in oil and gas to come and learn about hydrogen, renewables, and, and carbon capture, and, and, and vice versa, right? To where you can walk away and understand how we can all kind of work together, understand where certain technologies are in kind of their life cycle. Geothermal, for example, a lot of hype there, um, a lot of promise, a lot of money flowing into it. Yet, I think we're still a little bit ways off from the technology actually being commercialized. Um, and so, and you're seeing a ton of ton of companies invest in that. You're seeing a lot of oil and gas companies invest into geothermal technologies. Uh, you're seeing drilling companies invest in geothermal technology. So it's a, it's going to be a really, really cool environment. It's like everything else. It's, it's built for people to, to be able to connect. Um, and it's unlike anything that anybody's ever seen in energy before. How many people are you expecting? 
That's a hard one to answer because the distribution curve for ticket sales historically is 90% in the last two weeks. I'd say at a minimum, we ended up about 1,500. Uh, and I think on the high end, we ended up at 2,500. So there's about a thousand person difference. But uh, either of those is, is, is an amazing, uh, amazing win for us. That is pretty amazing. Now, what are some of the lessons you've learned about yourself on this journey of setting up Fuse? Oh, man, uh, that I need to hire more people. Uh, and then I'm not <laughs> uniquely qualified to be like, I don't know, doing as many things as I'm doing. Um, no, we have, a, we have an amazing team. Uh, everybody on our team is absolutely an A-plus rock star in my mind. And they're all wearing a ton of hats. Uh, everybody's rolled up their sleeves. It's, it's to, to do something of this uh, magnitude uh, with as few people as we have is, is nothing short of remarkable. And so I give you know so much credit to the team for being able to pull this off. It's been a lot of early mornings, late nights, and weekends for the last like five months uh, to kind of make this come to life. But uh, I think coming out of this and stress testing it, I think we know where our gaps are. Uh, I think there's there's a lot of things that we could be could be doing better uh, and could be doing a lot sooner. Uh, but it, it's just going to come down to getting more people. You know, we're we're, we're on the verge of closing a Series A round, uh, which should help us. Um, definitely find those the, the right people to plug those holes. Well, speaking of gaps, let's jump forward to the future. It's 2030, 2032, let's say 10 years from now. Let's say Fast Company, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, Houston Chronicle, you pick your publication, were to write a headline, perhaps about digital wildcatters, but maybe more about South by Southwest of Energy Fuse. What would you like that headline or paragraph to read? Man, I, I just, I want us to have an impact. I want us to really make a difference in the world. Um, and, and, that, and like I said, that's, that's a big chunk of that is within the industry uh, and, and being able to accelerate the rate of adoption, uh, accelerate innovation, accelerate disruption uh, in this space by kind of closing the information asymmetry gap. That's essentially what you're doing with, with podcasts and with content is just educating people uh, and speeding up that process. And so I, I would like to think that in 10 years, you know, that Fuse could maybe even expand beyond energy. I had actually had a conversation with some with some leaders in the city about that this week of just kind of talking about the vision because you know Houston's also a very it's one of the medical capitals of the world. We have a huge medical center, a lot of money that's flowing in there as well. But you know, if we could lay the foundation with fuse of the energy track, right? And then possibly even bolt on some other things. I think there's a lot of amazing things that can happen um, for the city. Um, but our primary goal is to really leave an impact in the energy industry. And so I would like to think that yeah, if anything, I just want to leave this space so much better than we've. That's my goal. Um, I don't know what that headline reads, um, but hopefully it's something that's very nice. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Before I get to my last question, let me just uh, give you a heartfelt statement. You know, you and I had a conversation, I think, a couple of weeks ago in preparation for this. Even earlier today, we spoke briefly offline. And one of the things we touched on is this this idea that I think we both have about reaching across the aisles finding common ground to work together. You know, some might hear oil and gas, like you mentioned, NREL earlier and get turned off. But I think that, you know, what you're doing, taking this collaborative approach, you know, hats off to you for doing this. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's like, like I said, I think it's our responsibility to bridge that gap between, uh, you know, traditional energy and newer energies. And, you know, oil and gas is it's just so essential to, to, to modern life currently. Um, it's just a fact of life and it, it's not going anywhere, uh, kind of for the time being, but at the same time, you gotta understand, man, like 
these oil and gas companies are investing so much. Like OGCI, for example, Oil and Gas Climate Initiative, which is a consortium of probably 20 of the top largest oil and gas companies in the world, have collectively reduced their emissions by 40% since 2017 and have invested $40 billion in decarbonizing their operations. And they're just getting started, you know? And so this whole narrative of like, it's like one versus the other. It's like, no, like we're really actually all in this together. And if you think about, uh, if we just like cut off all oil and gas today, like it would be catastrophic. It would end, it would end modern civilization. There's, there's no other way that that would, would turn out. And these companies are looking to invest into newer energies and are thinking about the future. The key here, and I think that where we play and I think why we've been successful and why I think Fuse will be successful is we're pragmatic. And we're constantly searching for the truth on like what is the best way forward. We're, you know, we we challenge existing assumptions. Um, but I think the people that we have in this community are extremely educated um, and understand truly how the world works. And you know, Digital Wildcatters is not about me, it's not about Colin, uh, or or even the rest of the team. Digital Wildcatters is it's about the people in the space who are really making that impact. It's the community. Um, and so that's what's that's what's really exciting for for us is is to, you know, yes, we've we've cultivated it, but it's it's not about us. This community, the one who's out there powering the world and continue to power the world, um, you know, for till the end of time, right? Well, last question, and I'm going to make it very specific to your experience. Someone listening to this show right now might think that the the content or the media landscape is saturated. What advice would you have for someone that maybe is thinking along those lines? We're not even out of the first inning on content creation. Uh, it's still super, super early. Anybody, anybody can get in. The best strategy is to, like we talked about earlier, be yourself, be authentic because you are unique. Uh, you need a thousand true fans to really have a have a decent following in in a world of you know seven billion people. That's relatively easy. Um, you just got to consistently put out content. You know, you've got to talk to nobody for, for a while. Um, and I think that that's, that's the hard thing that people have to wrap their minds around is that, you know, especially in this kind of society of instant gratification, um, that they want it all kind of overnight. Um, and we've gotten remarks lately. It's like, oh, you guys like overnight success. And I'm like, yeah, like a five, six year overnight <laughs> success. Um, you know, it took a long time to get here, but no, I'm, I'm extremely bullish on the space. Um, I've actually got some, another passion project that I'm thinking about starting up really just focused on, you know, probably podcasting. It'll probably be the medium, but just focusing on other people who are creating content, creating communities. Um, and I think for myself, I think I would like to invest in, in that space. Um, whether that's during wildcatters, post wildcatters, whatever. Um, I, I'm very, very passionate about this space. And I think that it's, it's still super, super early. And uh, yeah, if you're, you want to get out there, you want to change the world. The best strategy I can say is, is host the party. You know, that's the, that's the playbook that we've deployed since day one. That was my, that was my hack for being able to get um, really, really networked into the energy industry early on when I didn't know anyone, when I didn't know anything. Um, and it definitely accelerated my career, accelerated my learnings. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not too late. So you just got to have the, have the conviction and the dedication to, uh, continue trudging forward when it seems like it may be pointless and that could be for years. Right. Yep. And don't forget folks, you're hearing that from an introvert. So Jake, (laughs) I appreciate your time today. Best of luck with Fuse. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. I appreciate you having me, Raj. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. 
And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.